Good morning, everyone. Took a few days last week and spent in San Diego. And just as we were talking about this God and, and how good he is and how in control he is, I had the opportunity to spend some time at the San Diego Wild Animal Park doing surgery on rhinos. I'm a veterinarian by trade. That's what I do most of the time. And it's an astounding thing when you see how God has built them. They're just Sherman tanks. And trying to get through and do the things that you do is always so difficult. And yet it's designed that way. It's by definition because they also have troubles with each other, right? So they fight each other. And the skin that's close to two inches thick is a protective mechanism. And there are lots of things. But as we're sitting out there in the middle of East Africa in the San Diego Wild Animal Park doing surgery on a rhinoceros, you know, there's more, not just the one we're working on. I think there are 13 other rhinos in the pen. And we're in the middle of the procedure and and we're learning a bunch because we're doing things nobody's ever even tried before. So there's very little knowledge out there about what's going on. It's just all new stuff. And I'm in the middle of one spot, and I remember somebody yelling, Rhinos at 11 o'clock. <clears throat> now, we were warned before we did this that when you're there, they're going to circle vehicles kind of around the surgery site. Don't walk outside. They have Cape Buffalo and Rhinos and, and other things that would like to have a little fun with you if they got the opportunity. And it's just amazing how you have to stop and look. You have to stop and evaluate that. And we've been talking about liberties over the last number of weeks. The the last two weeks, I've had the opportunity to open the word in 1 Corinthians 10. And we talked about fleeing from temptation. And and we talked about idolatry. And it just kind of hit me as I was standing there. I had to look because I had to know whether this was a real problem or whether this was just somebody pointing something out, right? Because there's two different meanings to rhinos at 11 o'clock. One is, hey, cool, look at them. <laughs> the other is they're on their way. We need to do something to make sure that we're all going to be okay. And it's like that with the temptations that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and idolatry last week. You've got to kind of keep your eye out for those things. Uh, sometimes they sneak up on you. Sometimes they'll get you from behind. The giraffes are apparently like that. Giraffes in and among themselves really aren't a real problem, but sometimes they'll sneak up behind you and bite you. So you've got to pay attention to what's going on. The ostriches will do that. So there's the little things, even the things that look so harmless. They, aren't giraffes beautiful? I mean, they're the most gorgeous creatures, and they're just fantastically built. But they'll get you. They can be actually quite dangerous. If they kick you, they can break your leg. Just like that. Same with an ostrich. So even the things that you don't consider as problem can be problems. And you have to do that. And it's a day-to-day life. I mean, we see that every day. That there's something out there for us on a regular basis that we look at and we go, that's harmless. I can do that. That's not going to create a problem for me. And then it hits you. And you realize that it wasn't nearly so harmless as it looked like. You see the rhino, you see the Cape Buffalo, you pay attention. Nobody's going to question the fact that a 5,000 pound rhino could have their way with you. But you don't think about it with some of the other things. And so you let them get close. You let them come right up next to you. And they nail you. The ostrich that strikes you, they only have one claw on each foot and it's razor sharp. What they'll do is they'll fly back and they'll strike you. And they can, the lack of a better word, and I apologize in advance for everybody, but remember, I am a veterinarian, so I don't worry about a lot of these things. They'll eviscerate you. So with one strike, they can open your abdomen from top to bottom 
and you can spill your innards. Just like that. And who would have ever thought that? You look at the ostrich, they're, they're weird birds, right? They look up, they've, they've got psychotic problems. <laughs> they, they're the most amazing thing. You can watch them for hours and I'm fully convinced it's because they're trying to get you. Because they'll just play around. They'll be standing there by looking, they'll open their mouth and they'll make it look like they're getting bugs out of the air, but there are no bugs. But they'll even swallow because they're getting the bugs out of the air. But they inch ever closer, and that's when they'll get you. And that's little stuff like that that you don't even think about. So as we talked the last couple of weeks about idolatry and about temptations, it really hit me as we were looking at some of these situations. Sometimes it's so painfully obvious, a 5,000-pound white rhino that's mad, or a Cape buffalo that charges you because we got charged by a Cape buffalo when we were out checking on the rhino post-operatively. Those things don't surprise you. You anticipate they're going to be problems, but some of the little things are the ones that can really sneak up. So be cautious with those. Today we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's an exciting time because I think the others were a little bit challenging because we don't like to hear about our inability to flee from temptation or idolatry. We'd like to think that we're far better than that, but I think if we ever stop, we recognize that we're consumed by it in many cases and that the temptations are real. And they are out there in areas that we may not look for them. And that the idolatry can be anything. Idolatry can be my job. It can be my family. It could be money. It could be status. All of those things. It doesn't have to be a golden calf that we mold it out of metal. So it doesn't have to be something like that. It can be a lot of different things that take us off and away from where Christ and God would have us be. And so today we're going to kind of wrap things up. This is sort of the wrap-up of chapters 8, 9, and 10, if you will. We're kind of going to draw everything back together and talk about one more time this whole concept of Christian liberty. And what does it look like? And why are we here? And what do we do? And what are some of the areas that we struggle with? What are some of the spots that we really have troubles with? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, we are so grateful that you came to teach us today. I am so grateful you came to teach us that this is not up to me. It's not about me coming up here and being wise, Lord, or having cool things to say, but rather it's, it's all about you and the things that you have done and the, the doors you have opened in my life that have given me the opportunity to really see your hand in so many things. Lord, would you, would you help each of us to turn away from the issues that we're struggling with right now, the extra challenges that are on our plates, and would you open all of our hearts just to hear your truth and your word? Would you teach me, would you teach us all today, Lord, from your word? And would you help us to understand better how to go about glorifying you in everything that we do? And it's in Christ Jesus' wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 33, we really have four principles that Paul is bringing the Corinthians back around. So he's, he's sort of circling the wagons, if you will. He's gone through a lot of stuff and a lot of examples. He's going to bring it all back together for us now. And he's got four main things for us to learn about. We're talking about edification versus gratification, others versus self Liberty over legalism and condescension over condemnation. And we're going to look at all of these as we go through this because Paul's trying to help the Corinthians now who wrote to him with a bunch of questions that they asked. They had problems going on. They're trying to better understand things. They're having some struggles in some of the things that they're doing. And Paul's really working hard to try to help them out. And we're going to go through each of these four different groups as we go through the passages today. 
and try to evaluate those and see what it looks like and how can we do a better job of glorifying God. So it's really one of those deals. I feel Paul's kind of bringing this around to encourage these guys and try to help them. He's giving them some heavy stuff, some difficult thing, but he's going to try to wrap this whole thing up now and encourage the Corinthians and help them to take that next step, which is what we all need to do, right? We all need to figure out how to take that next step to get closer to God and grow and be more like Jesus. So we're, we're looking for ways to do that. Paul's bringing us some information now uh, in order to achieve that. If we move on to verse 23 and start there, we're going to go through this one or two verses at a time and try to evaluate these. In verse 23, Paul's coming back and telling us again, and we, he's just talking about eating things in the previous verses that were sacrificed to idols. And he'd already said, look, idols are nothing. Recognize idols are nothing. Things sacrificed to idols are no different than things not sacrificed to idols, except that the people that do it, do it with the heart of supporting demons, right? They're sacrificing and worshiping demons when they do that, and that can become a problem, so be careful. But now he's going to sum it all up here. The bottom line, he says in verse 23, all things are lawful. Okay? Bottom line, everything's lawful. Everything at some level's okay. But he doesn't leave us there because he knows where we'd run with that, right? Where would we end up if Paul stopped right there? All things are lawful. <laughs> yeah, good. That sounds exciting, right? However, he says, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And here's where the crux of everything starts with Paul now. He's going to say, bottom line is, let's not get hung up on some of these other issues that we've dealt with. Because it's not an issue of lawful versus unlawful, right versus wrong. It's an issue of edification versus gratification. Why do you do it? Do you do this thing because it's good for the body? Good for this body of believers. It's good for the unbelievers to see this because that will draw them closer to God. Or do you do this because you get personal gratification from it? That's really what he's saying here. And we now get our first distinction of edification versus gratification. Gratification is for me, right? It's all about me. Edification is all about you. So when we get up here to teach, we have to be very careful not to get up here with the concept of everybody look at me. Everybody look at how wise I am. Everybody look at how eloquent I can speak. That's not what it's about. The point is it's not about how good I can do. But when I get up here to teach, do I glorify God because I cut the word straight? Do I edify the body because I'm taking what God has taught me over the last few weeks of study and share that? So each of us can probably personalize that in some way, in some fashion, with what we do in the world as well as here in the body. Where is it that we're struggling with gratifying ourselves versus edifying the body? And that's what Paul is trying to tell these things. It may be lawful to do this thing, but is it good to do this thing? Does it edify the body when we do this thing? And if it doesn't, what should our response be? If it's not edifying, probably we ought not do it. Right? It's pretty simple, very basic as we go through that. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, he hits on this as well. and says the same thing. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will be not be mastered by anything. So he's helping us to understand just because you can... Don't get caught up in that. 
Don't get so caught up in this situation of things that you can do that you'll get yourself in trouble. I learned this really the hard way the first time I got a chance to open the Word. And I've shared the story with some of you. For those of you, I apologize. The rest, for me, is still a fascinating concept. So I'm a veterinarian, and, and I teach a lot, so I don't get nervous getting up in front of people, okay, by God's grace. So the first time I was going to get a chance to open the Word, I was going to, give, it was, I was going to have a slam dunk. It was going to be so good. I was going to be good at teaching. So I had, in my own strength, prepared for a couple of weeks for this amazing message, and it was going to be good. And God knew I had an issue, and God knew the way to deal with it. And how he dealt with it was that week I was also on emergency call. But that's not a problem, except for I didn't realize how tired and wiped out I would be spending all night Saturday night doing surgery. I started my first surgery at 5 o'clock Saturday. I finished at 6 o'clock Sunday morning. I was whipped. I was exactly where I needed to be for God to speak and not Dean. And I learned a lot from that. It was a very valuable lesson for me in that I actually spend more time probably praying that God takes me out of the way than I do studying the Word because I worry more about that. And I don't want to have to stay up all night doing surgery. And I want him to have to teach me more. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, he hits on it again. Just again, he's telling these guys over and over. He's really trying to hammer this down. Now, he's talking about spiritual gifts here, which I think is really valuable. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. It's all about the good for the body, not for the individual here. I think the Corinthians had an issue with this. We've talked about it three times here in a short space of verses. And so he was really trying to help them. In Romans 14, it goes on and on about the principles of conscience and just what does it look like and why do you do the things you do? So we want to be builders up of others, not of ourselves. We don't want to do anything that we do in the body and puff up our chest and say, look at me. I did such a good job. Rather, we want to be almost invisible. We want to be those that edify the body, not gratify ourselves. In verse 24, he moves on to say it's not just in the body here, but but everywhere that no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So don't seek it for ourselves, but on the other hand, seek what's best for our neighbor. Seek what's best for other people uh, out there. What a great opportunity to look at that. Romans 15, 1 through 4 talks about that and, and really, I think, helps to solidify things. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What a great example. Can you think of a better example than Christ not edifying himself? Do you think it was gratifying for Christ to hang on the cross? No, but was it edifying for us? Amen. It's everything we hold close. 
If it weren't for Christ hanging on the cross and dying for our sins, what hope would we have? We'd be just another group of people that would be spouting off gibberish here. They would be of no value at all to us. Everything we cling to is associated with Christ hanging on the cross for us and raising again, living the perfect life, being the perfect sacrifice. What a great picture in Philippians as well, talking about giving to others. Philippians 2, 19 through 22. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. What a great picture. Is there anybody in here who would like to have someone say that of them? Where they have a kindred spirit and genuinely be concerned about your welfare. They're not like those that are concerned only of themselves. Wouldn't that be cool to have as an epitaph or somebody to share about you at your funeral? Man, they just, they were always all about others. Not about themselves and their own perceived rights. And privileges. So let no one seek his own good, but rather that of, of your brother. Verses 25 and 6, we're going back to the object lesson now of, of meat, right? We're, we're learning more about meat here. And so verses 25 and 26, Paul says to the Corinthians, Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. And then he, then he goes back and he quotes Psalm 24, 1 and Psalm 50, 12 and says, For the earth is as the Lord's and all it contains. Everything's God's. Period. No matter what you think, everything is his. So, go ahead and partake of, of any of the meat. It's not a problem. Right? We don't have to worry about it. There was grave concern, obviously, by the Jews and, and eating unclean meat, right? Because that was part of the law. Part of the law was they couldn't eat unclean uh, animals. So, for instance, any animal with a cloven foot that did not have a multi-compartment stomach, they couldn't eat. That left pigs out, right? They couldn't eat pork, but they could eat goat, sheep. Cattle, anything like that with a multi-compartment stomach. So they could do that. That was okay. So that was the things that they didn't want to do. But they were very caught up in that. And that was a problem. And in Acts chapter 10, we get the story of, of Peter as he is up on the rooftop. Starting in verse 9 in Acts chapter 10. And on the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop and about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. And he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And behold, the sky opened up and a certain object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again came the voice a second time. What God has cleansed is no longer considered unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So God was telling Peter in that, Hey, and I made all of these. 
For a time, in order for you to understand the cumbersome nature of the law, I didn't allow you to do some of this. But now the law has passed away, and now we're no longer under the law, but rather we serve Christ and Him risen. And that's what he was talking about. So it's okay to eat this stuff. And that's what Paul's bringing out. In 1 Timothy 4, we see that again. So he's going on a little bit further in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go... Eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So again, he's saying it's okay. This isn't the problem. It's interesting as you read through this verse, though, talks about if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, there's no compulsion on the part here. Paul's not saying, Corinthians, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, you don't have to go. You don't have to go do that. If there are some struggles or areas that you're concerned about with regards to stumbling, it would be okay. We know Paul encourages to spend time with unbelievers and, and to do things be, to be in the world but not of the world. But in this instance, he's not saying you have to go do that. He's just saying, if you want to, go, and that's fine. Eat whatever you want. Don't ask any questions. Because after all, it's all God's anyways. What are you worried about? In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. So Paul's not saying here that he's giving these guys freedom to not associate with unbelievers because he's already told them that that's not the case. What he's saying is don't associate with the immoral people who call themselves believers. Those are the people to stay away from. But in this instance, so again, he's just saying, It's good to be with people, but I'm not going to tell you you have to go every time they invite you to a meal because apparently it was a big issue. There was lots of struggle associated with the eating of the meat and knowing where it came from. Was it something that had been sacrificed to an idol that they then took to the meat market and sold or or not? In Luke 10.8, God talks to us about this as well. In 10.8 it says, in whatever city, and this is Jesus after he was getting ready to send off the 70 pairs of disciples and where they were going. And he said, in whatever city you enter, if they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Again, this is before Christ even died and was raised again. He was telling these disciples, go out and, and you can eat anything. Don't worry about it. So even Christ was telling us that. So it's not so much the issue of the food. It's not that that's the problem. The problem is what we're going to talk about now in verses 28 and 9. And, and the, it's the concept of what's going on with the food. What, what are the problems there? So in verse 28 and 29, Paul says to the Corinthians, However, he's already told them everything's lawful, but not everything's edifying. It's legal to eat everything and go and eat, but and don't ask questions about it. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, then don't eat it. Goes back to what we talked about last time in verse 10 when he's saying, because after all, in verse 20, the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And that's a problem. It's not that the meat is an issue, it's the heart that they had towards it that becomes the issue. And that's what Paul's trying to help these guys understand. So as your head start to spin, 
Eat it without asking questions, but if somebody tells you, then you have to be discerning about it and make some decision. Uh, and then we're going to get to the next part, which talks about what if an unbeliever tells you what to do. Don't eat it if you know, if somebody tells you, for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. So, again, it's not for me. So if I'm invited to a Gentile's home and they're serving meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, it's not about me whether I eat this or not. But if the Gentile knows that this was sacrificed to an idol, I then don't eat it because I'm trying to be a witness to them. I'm trying to be a witness to them and distinguish the difference between the demonic world and the world of Christ. And I'm trying to be that image or that lighthouse that draws them closer to Christ. So that's the concept behind this. And he says, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? And that's the first question that first time he asked that he's going to ask it again in verse 30. Really trying to say, why would any of you judge me based upon what I do in my conscience? Why, why would you do that? What right do you have? What is the position to that? And we're going to get to that in a minute. And our concern here is that we don't want those believers as well that are there seeing these things going on to have struggles. But we are all at different places with our walk with the Lord, if you will. Some have been walking with the Lord for a long, long time, and they are rock solid. There is nothing in this world that can shake them. And there are others who are just on this tenuous path. They're, all, they're trying to go down the right road, but it's so easy to get drawn over here. It's so simple just to get pulled here. And we know that if they're coming out of this society, right? If you have a recent believer that's coming out of this society, they lived in this world of idol worship. They were there. There's a very good chance they were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing meat to demons. And then they were partaking of that. So it's it's just this tenuous walk that they have. And if they see this rock, this guy that's the rock or person that's a rock of their Christianity that has never moved, has never tempted over to this area, and they see them doing it, they're going to say, I can do that too. Not realizing, of course, that the minute they step back into that, they're hooked. Right? They struggle with it, and, and it's a problem. We need to be very, very careful with those folks. And so Paul's telling us here in verses 28 and 29, we have to be constantly on the lookout for that. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter what your conscience is telling you you can do. What matters is, what about this person? There's, you've, got, you've got two people. We've got an unbeliever who recognizes it was sacrificed to idols, and, you've, and he's told you so. And you have a weaker believer that is there as well. Those two people need you to be super strong. And they need you to die to yourself, to give up any perceived right you have to eat whatever you want to eat, and you need to do the right thing. Paul goes on in verse 30. If I partake with thankfulness... Why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? If I'm thankful, doesn't that make it okay? Can't I say to you that, look, I'm being grateful to what God has given me. We all know there are really no such things as idols. We know that everything is God's. I'm thankful for it. Shouldn't that make it fine no matter what? No matter what's going on. In Romans 14, verses 5 through 8... Paul talks about different ways different people approach things. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. 
He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not gives thanks to God. He's just thankful for not eating. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So he's saying, you know, if I'm grateful, everything's good, what's the issue? Why would you look at my conscience? Why would you suggest that I was wrong in doing this? And his point comes in verse 31 when he talks to us about the fact that because everything we do, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So what's the challenge there? Where's the struggle with this? Why can't Paul or me or anybody else here, why can't we do this thing that is, that is legal, if you will, that is lawful? Why can't we do that even if there is a weaker brother or sister watching us that might get caught up in that? Well, I think it comes down to the reality that, you know, it's, it's really difficult, I think, to truly offer thanks to God when all you can see is your own rights and needs and desires. You know, it's one of those things that we can say, I am just thankful for this meat, so I'm going to eat it anyways, no matter what the repercussions are in those people around me. But I don't think you can truly say you're giving thanks to God and have that heart attitude. I don't think that works. I think there's a dichotomy there. You can't just do things because you can. Just can't. It just doesn't work that way because there are always consequences to everything. No matter what we do, there will be a consequence. If we live a life that is as close to perfect as possible and we have positive influence on people around us all the time, the consequence is those people will have a great view of God. If I, on the other hand, am always pushing it to the limit, I'm always pushing it to the edge. And when I'm here at church, I'm a godly man. But when I step outside, I become part of the world. Those people will see that too. And there will be a consequence of that because I will be a hypocrite. Because they will say, but here you say this, but your life shows this. There's a consequence, right? For everything we do, there's a consequence. Some are good. Others are bad. But there's always something. It's never truly neutral. As much as we would love to think that we can walk this line of neutrality and not have any positive or negative effect, we can't do that. And that's what Paul's saying through all of this. No matter what, you're going to affect things. How are you going to look at it? What will it look like when you affect these things? Will there be positive conclusions or negative conclusions to it? What will it be? Because that's what's going to happen. So we have to be careful with that. And if we look at this, then we need to really evaluate ourselves. What does it look like? Whether we're eating, drinking, or doing anything, giving God the glory. What does that look like? Is there anybody else here that kind of struggles with that concept? No matter what I do, God deserves the glory. Well, that part's easy. I admit that. But how do I always give it to him, no matter what the situation? What does that look like? You know, when you're being praised for something that you put a lot of effort into, what does it look like when you're done? I think back to the Super Bowl and Tony Dungy, coach for the Colts, 
I was so impressed because no matter how hard the reporters tried to bring this to be about him, he just said, I'm just so thankful for my Savior. That's basically what he said every time. Well, yeah, but, I mean, look at this. Two black coaches in the Super Bowl for the first time ever. He said, you know, it's not about that. It's about my Savior. I mean, now that, is for me, is a pretty good picture. Do you think there's anybody of the however many million people that watched that that didn't hear him? Not everybody is going to agree with him, but everybody heard him. That is a witness. That is a giving glory to God. You're at the pinnacle. You're at the probably the most watched event in America. All he can do is say, it's not me. It's him. Right? And there's a difference to all that. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us here, is that that's what we need to look at. when Whatever we're doing, we need to be giving God the glory. In Colossians 3.17, In 1 Peter 4.11, it talks the same thing. It just really reinforces that concept in both of these. All of our behaviors should glorify and honor God. So verses 32 and 33, starting to wrap this up now. So therefore, since everything we do should be for God's glory and not for ourselves. Remember, we want to edify the body, not gratify ourselves. We want to think of others better than ourselves. We want to look at liberty versus legalism and the fact that we want to be liberated from those things. And then condescension versus condemnation. And in verses 32 and 33, it really kind of hits there and talks about the fact that we should give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. Do you realize that Paul has masterfully said here in taking lots of words, he said, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. He could have easily said, give no offense to anyone because he covered it all. I always laugh when we have, have had the opportunity to go to Brazil and speak and have a translator. And they always say that it takes a lot more words in Spanish and Portuguese to say the same thing that we say in English. And I was looking here at Paul thinking, Why did you do that? You could have said, give no offense to anyone. But I think he wanted to draw this out and really point out to people that there are three distinct groups of people in this world. There are the Jews. There are the Gentiles or the Greeks, really, at this point in time. And there are the believers. And that hasn't changed. We still have the same groups of people in that. And his point is, you as a believer need to be about all of these guys. You need to stop and evaluate the things you're doing and see what they look like to every single group and see who is this really for and who is this really about and why? Why should we not seek out ourselves? Because it's never been about us. We like to make it that way. We like to make it about us. It's great to be the center of attention. We like people to think about us as being good at this, that, or the other thing. It's our, it's our human fleshly nature to want to be observed and, eva- and, and evaluated positively. Uh, however, it's a horrible stumbling block for us most of the time because it takes our eyes off God because we're too busy looking at ourselves, and that becomes a, a real issue for us. So... One of the ways that we cannot give offense to people is to love them, right? Who can you imagine that if you love somebody, 
more than yourself, how can you imagine wronging them? How could you see putting them in a bad spot? Who of you would put your children in a position of danger? Who would do that? Who would purposefully put somebody that they cared for deeply in a spot that could cost their life? None of us would. God talked about it. He said, you know, who among you, when your child came and asked for a fish, would give him a snake or a stone? You'd take care of them. Well, Paul's just bringing that back around. If you love the people around you enough, I have just spent 33 verses wasting my time. Because it doesn't matter. You're already there. You already love people more than you love yourself. You're going to do all these things anyways. You want to edify them versus gratifying yourself. You'll make sure you take care of them. And you won't get caught up in legalism and judging them. right? You will allow their conscience to take care of them and, and the Holy Spirit to guide them. And that's what you'll do if you just love them enough. And I think that's one of the concepts he's saying here is trying to bring about is just love these people. So as we summarize this, if we bring this all back together and look at it, these are the things we need to evaluate. Where are we? Where are you today? Where are you tomorrow? Where were you yesterday? What does it look like? Edification versus gratification. I had a unique opportunity this last week to really get caught up in this because we're doing something on these rhinos nobody's ever tried. Nobody has ever even thought of, and we're doing it. And it's an exciting opportunity. And yet God is so good because he made it really hard. It was hard for me to stand up and gratify myself because I feel like I bumbled through everything. Which is good because I think there's that risk always for me of that. There's that risk I struggle with of praise and gratification. And so it was a neat opportunity to really point out the fact that there's this whole group of people made this happen. It wasn't me. But I know that every day I have multiple times where I fail at that. And I need to be more careful. Others versus self. What a neat opportunity to die to ourselves daily, right? Die to yourself and live for others. Because that's kind of one of the whole bases or underpinnings of what we're talking about here. But how often do we do that? How often do we wake up in the morning and say, I'm not happy because of this. So-and-so didn't do this for me. Uh, I wanted it this way. It didn't work out my way. We have to be cautious of those, right? You have to be cognizant that those things are real. And that we're all faced with those on a regular basis. At least I hope I am not the only one. If I am, maybe I should hope I am the only one. So it would be better for everyone else. Liberty versus legalism. Danny really did some nice studies on this. The concept of what's okay versus what's not okay. And who is going to point it out, right? That's what legalism is. When I see somebody out there eating meat sacrificed to idols, what should I say? What should be my response to them? My response is not to judge them. My response may be to come alongside them later and say, did you see this person? They were watching you. You may need to go make this right. Because they're, they're new in their beliefs. They really struggle with this eating meat from idols thing. This is something that will draw them down the wrong path. So I can come alongside somebody and help them, but not to judge them. Condescension versus condemnation. 
when I first was looking at this, I really kind of struggled with that concept because condescending is not a good thing. So I looked at those and I thought, well, neither one is good. But what's the first thing you should do? Actually look the word up so you know what it means. Condescension does not mean the same thing as condescending. It's a totally different words. Condescension is a noun and it means behavior or an example of behavior that implies that someone is graciously lowering themselves to the level of people less important. Graciously. With the right heart. You're coming down and you're lifting others up. That's, that's essentially what condescension is. Condescending, however, is an adjective. Behaving towards other people in a way that shows you consider yourself superior to them. There's a totally different meaning with just a few different letters at the end of the word, which I had always struggled with. But I think that's what we should look like. We need to be people who are more concerned about edifying the body than ourselves. We need to be people who, when we're in our area where we live or where we work, that we're helping the other people out, that we're coming alongside everybody who needs help, even, even if it costs us something, right? Not just when it looks good for us, but even when it costs us something. We need to be careful to recognize just because we can doesn't mean we should, But conversely, we ought not to judge those who did. We have to be careful there. We have to watch and allow the Spirit to convict. And then we need to be those who graciously, recognizing we on our own have nothing to even consider being at a different level than anybody else, but we need to graciously bring ourselves to this spot and buoy everybody up. Be the underpinnings as opposed to to, the people that are standing on top pulling. Does that make sense to you? There's kind of a distinct difference there, right? When you've got this load of of people that need to get from here to here, when you get underneath and bring them up, there's a lot more potential cost to you than when you're on top pulling them, right? Because if the whole thing fails, where are you if you're underneath? Small, (laughs) right? And I think it's an important perspective. God is very good to us. And and why do we do all these things? As Paul was saying, you know, why should I be worried about your judging my conscience? Why should I be worried about the concepts of me giving thanks for something that you disagree with? Why should I worry about that? Because the bottom line is everything I do needs to glorify God. And it's not about me. It never has been about me. And it never should be about me. And that's probably the biggest thing to take from here today, at least from my perspective, is that I need to work harder at getting out of the way than glorifying God through the things that we do. Let's pray. Lord, you are so incredibly good. I feel so amazingly blessed that I have the opportunity to dig into your word and study it. You have been such an amazing God to me. And I know there's so much room for growth. I have so much more that I need to learn from you. So Lord, would you please keep teaching us? Would you please keep our hearts open and ready to hear your truths? Would you please, Lord, help us to really see where we need to go, what we need to do. Would you help us to look at those areas in our lives where we are not edifying, but rather we are gratifying? Would you help us to see 
where we are not treating others better than ourselves? Would you help us to see where we are taking our liberties to an extreme and judging those that do the same? And Lord, would you help us to come down and really encourage those around us? Thank you so much for your truth and for your message today, Lord. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.